Thanks for joining us on another BRFCS podcast. Seven points. Just seven points. You are listening to the only podcast on the internet approved by the New York Rovers. Enjoy, and don't forget to check out brfcs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 93 of the BRFCS podcast. This is the last podcast that we will record during the normal scheduled league season. Any more that we might produce will be, well, whisper it quietly, playoff specials or end-of-season reviews. Like someone breaking into a larder and stealing all the Bisto and Oxo, that's right, we're taking stock. I know, sorry about that. Reviewing the season so far and trying to reassure each other that the football gods are going to look after us over the next three weeks. To do that, I'm joined by an illustrious panel. Returning to the first team after a spell on loan to his day job and his family, it's a warm welcome back to Cammy. How are your nerves holding up, Cammy? Hi, Ian. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, my nerves are completely shocked, I think. Uh, between Rovers and my other footballing love, Inter, uh, I think I'm going to need some professional help at the end of the season. Well, we'll have to have a look at doing perhaps a separate Inter podcast to deal with those woes, but right now, I think we're definitely staying on the blue and white as opposed to the was it N- Nero Azuri, is that right? for the Inter? Oh, very good. I'm impressed, yes. Nero Azuri. Yeah, I will brush up on that. Right, a second consecutive pod appearance for our next panellist. Yes, that appearance clause inserted by our agent is certainly paying off. It's the Conway Botherer-in-Chief, Linz Lewis. Fingernails intact, Linz? I pay £25 a time for my fingernails, so yep, they're doing fine. Rovers or no rovers, they're staying intact. Unlike mine, I have to say. I think I've chewed mine to pieces, but there we go. And lastly, being of similar vintage to myself, I anticipate several references to promotion campaigns of yore. We're both old enough to remember playoff heartbreak and success via automatic and playoff routes. It's the ground-hopping Marple Leaf, Michael Taylor. Good evening, Michael. All calm in the Taylor household? No, very far from calm. No, we're um, lots of anticipation, but quietly confident, I'd say. Well, that's, that's not too bad. That's not too bad at all. So, in part one, we will, as I hinted earlier, take stock of the season so far and the position we find ourselves in. We'll consider some of the many permutations and try and make sense of what's happened and what might happen over the next few weeks. In part two, we'll go off-field and drill down into latest Rovers accounts published recently at Company's House, and we'll try and make sense of what those numbers may mean for our our on-field fortunes. For that piece, I'm joined by the veteran of the BRFCS forum and the original incarnation of these podcasts, Philip Lingard. But that's coming up later. We've all taken our nerve medication, so let's go. Back in July 2017, how confident were you that we'd be here at this point of the season, Michael? Well, I went back to look at the blog that I wrote when I got home after driving home from Brentford at the end of last season. And I said, you know, we've gone down by a whisker. Two goals was all that was in it. And if Tony Mowbray can keep the spine of this team together, David Rea, Elliot Bennett, Daryl Ennehan, Charlie Mulgrew, and, poss- and I sort of went, mm, Danny Graham, then that's the spine of a really good side that should be able to come straight back up. So coming on to July, two months later, we'd added to it. I didn't know anything about the, the signings, to be perfectly honest with you. But I thought, do you know what? We're going to be one of the better teams in this division and we've got every chance of coming straight back up. We kept the spine. We kept those players. We got rid of the high-earning, ineffective ones, which I was pleased about. Um, got them off the books, which was good, like Jason Lowe and um, um, your fellow who's at Cardiff, Feeney. And I thought, yeah, we can make some progress here. And and I think we were right. The, the first game of the season at Southend was a real shock to the system. Was that in July or was that early August? Early August, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, but even then I thought, do you know what, we still looked like a better team than them. We still looked like we just got mugged, muscled, bullied. Um, I don't think Danny Graham realised quite what a tussle he'd be in for. It's a, thing, it's a thing that we've come across a number of times, I think, this season, is that in this division, the first battle is physical. And yeah. unless you're prepared to compete, everything else is a luxury, really. And we, we seem yeah. to have got to grips with that quite quickly. Yeah, I think a lot of the teams we've faced are a lot more athletic, maybe even than teams in the Championship. 
And that's something we've had to come to grips with. We've certainly lost a couple of games because teams have had that vim and they've had that pace to keep going. Not all of them, because we've, we've actually got a lot better at shutting teams out and not conceding silly late goals like we did against Preston last season, which was the game I felt that sent us down. So, no, in answer to your question, I think I'm about on expectations. Mm. I thought we were going to be okay. You were one of the optimists then, clearly. Cammy, what about you? Are we ahead or behind of what, what you expected at this point? I was pessimistic, to be honest. Um, you know, If you go back to the end of last season, yeah, we stayed up. Uh, we went down on goal different, but if you looked at the club, it was completely messed up. You know, there was a losing culture within the club for the last four or five years. Uh, we all know about our crazy owners and what was happening sort of off the field with really having just Mike Chester running the show. So when you put all of that in into the melting pot, I was a bit pessimistic. I just didn't think that Tony Mowbray would be able to turn it around. But, you know, fair play to him. He's not only turned it around, but... He's managed to get the club moving in the right direction on the on the pitch, and just recently, in the last few weeks, um, you know, um, Waggett is it Waggett? It is. Yeah, yeah. He seems to be talking more sense than our previous the previous people they've brought in, like Suhail Pasha, and we've had so many. So um, Shebby is the one that springs. Shebby. <laughs> yeah. What was the other one? Um, who bought uh, Paul Lambert in? It, Derek, uh, Derek Shaw? Derek Shaw. Well, there was another guy who came in. He was like... Uh, there was the used car of... salesman whose name escapes me as well. We're going to have to edit That's a lot it. out of this bit. I can't remember his bloody name now. Paul Senior. That was the name that we couldn't remember. Anyway, it, it was like he swallowed some management handbook because that's all he seemed to be talking about. So, so Waggett's been a breath of fresh air. He seems to talk our kind of language. He seems to temper expectations in terms of what he's expecting and what can be done but all of that it, it has come as a surprise and obviously on the pitch we've we've seen the results um, you know to be top two is it, it, brilliant for us absolutely Linz, you're one of nature's optimists by uh, I think by default what, what what was your take at the back end of last season and how we're we doing compared to that well I was on the infamous we're going to finish second podcast. And I think I said playoffs were a bare minimum. So for me, they've exceeded. Um, and just to pick up on the Waggett theme at um, Bristol, he was in with the fans speaking to everybody, um, getting people's opinions, getting people's thoughts. And, you know, this time last year, we wouldn't have got anything like that. So I think running alongside better football, we've got a much better infrastructure going on as well, which was really nice to see. Uh, my my tip to win the league has done really well. It was Bury. <laughs> <laughs> They've ended at exactly the opposite end of the table to what I expected. I think the only reason I've got you on the pod, Cam, is because, of course, I infamously pre-season predicted that we're going to finish 10th and then proceeded to slag Bradley Dakoff for the first <laughs> four or five games. So in an effort to try and make it look as though I have a vague idea that I know what I'm talking about... Um, but it's, it really is vague. Uh, we've, uh, we've got you on to admit to that, so very well done, sir. Yes. Well, well, Ian, you actually you asked me um, how confident was I back in July. It was at, it was in September when I had a wobble. I thought, nah, we're, we're not mentally tough enough for this. It's going to be a real struggle. It might take us two years to get out of this division. That was before Dak kicked in. And I think, you know, there are a couple of bright spots like Bradford away. You asked the question at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I thought we're going to be OK. It was that little dip where we we just took so long to get started, losing at home to Doncaster, losing at Southend, Wimbledon, of course. That that was a that was a bad win ratio, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we also drew it home to Plymouth as well when they were at the bottom of the table before they started yeah. this extraordinary run-up. So it, well, we, we stuttered, I think, is, um, well, probably <laughs> wildly optimistic based on, on what was happening in those, those first few games but we've, we've kind of got into gear. Cammy, what have you enjoyed most about the season so far? What What is it that sort of like rekindled your, your appetite for the game? You know what, it's just the feeling that we've got a proper football club again. Um, you know, that's been my, the, the most enjoyable bit. That yes, we're winning games and we're playing some decent football, but just the fact that it, it looks like we've got a proper football club again. Now, that's not to say the issues with the owners have gone away or I forgive the owners for what they've done because I don't think I'd ever do that. But it does feel like we've got um, 
a proper football club. And my actual highlight has been our away following this year, which has been nothing short of sensational. You know, I know the players always mentioning it, uh, Mowbray's always mentioning it, but it's just been brilliant to see those thousands of fans travelling all over the country midweek, weekend, it doesn't seem to, to matter. We, we're getting huge away followings and that's been a, a massive highlight for me. It's a tough one for me because I think I'm someone who, regardless of whether we're winning or losing, makes these kind of mad trips. But what I've enjoyed is not driving home from ridiculous places at ridiculous times of the day and night, feeling miserable. And I'd forgotten what it's like to enjoy my football. The people I sit around, it's enjoyable. They want to chat. They want to to know who you are, know your story, cheer along with you. Are you at the next game? Are you going away? It's been years since I've had that at Ewood and I've been very, very lucky to go to a lot of away games this season and if some of the grounds we've been to can be made pleasant, it's miraculous by our fans to be able to do that because I've been to some very questionable locations but had a great time doing it. You've also been burning the midnight oil, I think, as you've been driving on the motor as well. You and many, well, thousands of other Rovers fans as well. I think that's been uh, an extraordinary rekindling uh, of love and a sort of a rediscovery of what it's like to actually follow your team and, and come back, as you say, not feeling miserable. Michael, from your perspective? Hey, it's you guys. All of you. All of you and all of the people that you meet in pubs and bars before the matches, people you chat on to on concourses, people you walk back to train stations with, share train journeys home. We've just got a smile on our face and it's that bond between the supporters that's just been fantastic and we've got that back. And, you know, even when we've maybe not had such a good game and it's still that that camaraderie between the fans and and doing this podcast has been amazing as well it's been such a great experience well that's uh, yes i'm not, not fishing for compliments but i have to say there's there's been a lot of again new rovers supporters um websites and forums and things that have sprung up and i think that shows to me that when you've got a successful football team people are, are quite happy to get behind it so are football fans fickle uh, and we we will sort of like we'll come out of the woodwork, or are we are we just sort of so grateful that our drug of choice is now actually giving us some positive results? Michael, I'll come back to you on that first. Yeah, I think there's an element of that, but also the the end product, what we're what we're looking at on the pitch, what we're paying our money to to the club to see, it's a better product we've got officially. I mean, I, I've been saying this for a few weeks now, the best player in the division playing in our team. And it's been 20 odd years, 30 years since we've been able to say that. But we've got it again. You know, we've got Bradley Dack in attack. And <laughs> it's just a joy to have the best player in the division playing for us. Arguably the second best as well in Charlie Mugru. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Linz, who surprised you the most this season? Oh, I- it's a tough one. Um, I'm going to put a shout out for Paul Downing, who I think isn't one of the world's most glamorous players. And indeed, when Lenehan's fit, doesn't even get a game. But I think that shows the strength and depth of the squad that he can come on, you know, as he did on Saturday. He slots in. I always feel comfortable when he's on the ball. He's my kind of player. He's not flashy, particularly. You don't see him on social media. You don't see him bigging himself up. But he's steady and he cares. And I also feel like now's a good opportunity to mentioned Dak who I was quite critical of to begin with I was concerned around his character and how he would fit into the side but barring the last couple of weeks shenanigans I've been wrong he's he's been everything we've wanted as Ryan said on the last podcast he's engaged in social media and he is at the center of everything we do and one of the main reasons that I don't mind getting in at two or three o'clock in the morning because I'm watching good football so sorry Bradley if you're listening. (laughs) Cammy you're a you're a Dak fan is that right? Yeah, yeah, he's been brilliant, but a bit like Lindsay, my pick was Paul Downing as well. Um, didn't know much about him before he came, but really the first time I saw him play, I thought this guy's a really, really good defender. He fits the way that Mowbray wants to play, he's comfortable on the ball. And even though he's had like limited opportunities, whenever he's been asked to come in and do a job, he's done it brilliantly, stepped up. And also honourable mention to Danny Graham, who seems to have found his desire again. Um, you know, he's, he's had his fitness problems, but second half of the season, uh, he's been brilliant for us up front. He's scored goals, he's held the ball up. So, so yeah, he's not a surprise because I always knew he, he, he was a top, top player, but it's good to see him showing that desire and commitment again. I think that segues nicely into you then, Michael. I know how much admiration you had for Danny Graham earlier in the season. So is he the one that won you over or is there somebody else? 
Well, I did describe, um, as I'm sure you've researched on my blog after the Plymouth game, the useless Danny Graham. And in that game, he was because he was just playing grapple with Plymouth centre-halves and tucking himself into their armpits, which um, <laughs> he seemed to have a habit of doing. But he's got smarter and wiser and he brought different elements to his game. No, the player that's really won me over through the course of the season has been Elliot Bennett. And one of the things that I was really critical of is I didn't like his snarling fist pump. I thought it was like, well, stick that up your pipe and smoke it, Rovers fans, you clueless negative idiots. Look what we've just done. And now I kind of see it for what I think it probably genuinely is, which is a real, he's an emotional character. And he's probably got a better connection with the fans than I probably appreciated. His performances have been absolutely full-throated as well. Some of the tracking back that he's done while he's been playing fullback, and some of the the skill that he did, that the, the goal that he did that Dax set up for him. I mean, Barcelona would have scored that, and we'd all be we'd, we'd all be watching it on Sky Sports and saying what geniuses they are. He's got some real great elements to his game, his commitments, but he's also a very intelligent footballer, which I don't think he gets enough credit for. And I don't know why it didn't quite work for him in the last uh, in the couple of seasons. But this season, I think it's really clicked for Elliot Bennett. And I think he's a big, big key part of this team's success. Well, from, my, from my perspective, for what worth, I agree with you wholeheartedly about Bennett. I don't think that you, me, and uh, there were a few others as well were wrong to sort of question his contribution earlier in the season. I think it's, he's just raised his game several notches. And I think his versatility uh, in willing to, to drop in in various positions makes him invaluable to a team like ourselves. Um, he just he just seems to have really really matured, I think, and, and which is is crazy for a guy of his age. It's not like some young kid coming through, but he seems to be a different player in the second half of the season. Linz, I can sense that you're itching to sort of say, but I loved him all along, all along. So it was your fault for not liking him. Is that right? I mean, I was once criticised for being an Elliot Bennett fangirl, which I wore as quite a badge of honour. I love Benno. I think he's everything we want at this club. Um, I think he leads from the front. I think he's played in five or six different positions this season and played well. He cares. He interacts well on social media. There's no negative for me, so he hasn't surprised me. I'm just kind of smug that people are seeing what I think I've seen for quite a while. Well, you're quite right to be smug in that respect. (laughs) We'll give you that one. So let's let's have a, a bit of a glass half empty session then. Is there anybody that's underperformed in this season that is promising so much? Michael, anybody from from your perspective that you think has just not quite hit the mark? Yeah, one of the one of the players that Mowbray signed in the summer that I thought that's genius. I think that's a really good signing, and if we do well, we will do well because of Peter Whittingham. And we've not seen enough of him. Yes, he's got injured, but I, I think the physicality. And the kind of the Richie Smallwood qualities that uh, are required of our midfield player in this division have probably meant that he was, I'm going to quote someone famous here, maybe a luxury we can't afford (laughs) and a solution to a problem we didn't have. Um, I think that does apply. Um, I saw flashes of Gladwin in a pre-season friendly at Morecambe and in the League Cup win at Coventry. And I thought... This guy's special, and we've seen nothing of him except missing an open goal against, was it Plymouth? It was. So I had high hopes for them too, but for for different reasons, they've not played a, a role in it. And Samuel, I don't think my expectations were great from the from the get-go, to be honest with you. I didn't. He didn't impress me at Southend, and I've not seen enough from him. And I'm sure the others have got an opinion. He's the inverse um, Elliot Bennett, isn't it? Where if he had a bright start to the season, it seems like... The, the, as, as Bennett's got better, he's got worse. I don't know whether they're, they're on some sort of supplement between the two of them. At the moment, I think he's the poor lad's bereft of confidence. Uh, the way he snatched at the chance at Milton Keynes just said to me, there's a guy who's just just needs to get one in, whether it's off his backside or whatever, just to, just to get his confidence back. Cammy, big disappointments. Have there been any for you? Not player-wise, but um, I'm going to preface this by saying I do respect everyone's opinions, but my biggest disappointment has been the constant sort of negativity on social media from certain people. Um, you know, we've just been on a, what, 31-game sort of run with one defeat. Whenever I log on to social media, same people moan, 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 moan. And, you, shouldn't, you, know, you shouldn't keep following me, Cammy. <laughs> It's just, it's just unbelievable some of the stuff that you read after a draw or 
or a, not a brilliant performance even when we've won and and you think look at where we were sort of over the last two years and to, to look to to see a committed team if nothing else they are committed they always give 110 percent just that's the bare minimum that we're seeing every week but when you log on and read social media and some of the morning that you see or people saying ridiculous things like Tony Mowbray is not a good manager or he's not the right man to take forward, it, that's been my biggest disappointment when what the evidence that you see on the pitch is completely different to, to what people are saying on yeah, social media. Yeah, very much so. Linz, anything disappointed you? Or, of course, being naturally optimistic, do you see the bright side of everything? Um, I think Cammy makes a really good point around commitment. So I can't remember really the last time coming away from a Rovers game and thinking the players weren't committed. And maybe I've set my bar really low that that's what I want. But as long as they are committed, if it's a poor performance, I can accept that. I can't accept people playing for a club that I love, we love and not caring. And I think we've now got a culture where they do care. I think Samuel potentially comes across as not caring, but I do just think he's a broken man. And I think Mowbray keeps bringing him on in the hope something's going to go right. I'm not convinced that it is, but I truly hope come the Peterborough game, he scores a hat trick. Yeah, I'm sure we all hope for that. Well, for what worth, my big, biggest disappointment of the season so far is that Harry Chapman's hamstrings aren't more robust because there was a kid that in the early part of the season when we were struggling, he was the bright spark and he got me off my seat and he got me all excited whenever he picked up the ball and it's a long time since a Rovers player did that. Uh, you know, it's the, We're going back to the, the halcyon days. Uh, when Shearer picked up the ball and started to run at a defence, or when Damien Duff picked up the ball and started to run at a defence. I really, really wish we'd seen 20, 25 games of Harry Chapman at his finest, and I wish the lad all the best in the future. It's... Just imagine, Ian, a, a team with Dak, Armstrong and Chapman. Absolutely. Like, frightening, it would frighten in this division. Now, I think, in the Championship, the pace and the... The, the technical ability that those three have, yeah. it would brighten most teams. Yeah. I think the, the raw pace that Chapman had was certainly something. I have to say, Armstrong, we, we've not mentioned him until you just dropped his name in there. The guy's been a revelation. So let, let, let's use it to answer this question. What's one of the biggest disappointments that we only brought him in halfway through the season? Uh, crikey, what were Bolton doing to him to not get, to get the best out of him? He's been absolutely first class. So, let's try and summarise then, and let's look into our crystal ball. The team's recent performances, uh, apparently we're, we're bottling it, and we're stuttering, and we're, we've, we've not got what's necessary, but we've picked up points on Wigan and Shrewsbury over the last four games, I think, well, certainly until Wigan won their last game. How are we going to do? What's going to happen over the next three weeks then? Michael, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I think we'll be okay. I think um, we'll continue to pick points up, and I think Shrewsbury, I think, have run out of gas. I think we've not been playing well lately. You know, South End, it looked like we just wanted the whistle to blow at about 60 minutes. And it was the same at Bristol Rovers. Sport, all sport is about fine margins. And we'd have been talking on this podcast about what a professional, solid, well-drilled, good performance. We'd taken three points from Bristol Rovers, but for the swing of a boot in the 94th minute. It's things like that that can, I don't think they'll change the season. But I think we've got enough luck in the locker now, and I think they've worked hard enough. And the other teams that we're going to be facing, they've got things to fight for as well. It's not going to come as, you know, Peterborough is not going to be a walkover. Doncaster are chasing potentially to try and finish as high as they can. And Charlton are still in the mix. I'm not fearful of the playoffs. I am confident that we'll get automatic promotion. I do pray every night for the... Um, for the health of Bradley Duck's hamstrings. Mm, absolutely, yeah, after Harry Chapman's. Cammy? The performances, like you both said, have not been brilliant the last four games, but it's all about the results, and you know, we've been get, generally be getting them. Um, still a bit nervous. Um, I think we need seven points for to guarantee it with our better uh, goal difference. So you know, we should do it. Um, if we didn't do it from this position, then I think it would be a massive downer, and it would probably affect us going in the playoff but let's think positive seven points like Michael said none of these games are going to be easy uh, Peterborough are desperately need to win now with with Charlton beating um, Shrewsbury yesterday if they want to retain any uh, realistic hopes of getting into a playoff spot so that won't be an easy game but it, if we can win tomorrow that just m- makes it that little bit easier knowing 
we need four points from from our last three games and and we'll be up and um, it'll also pile on the pressure uh, for for Shrewsbury. So it's just fingers crossed. And but I think with that five point cushion that we've got now, it will will get will get there. But it's Rovers, and they never do anything the easy way. I was so. just about to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there'll be there'll be some twists and turns, but I think with that five point gap that we've got, with with only four games to play, we're in the boxy, and we should see it home front. Linz. I'm terrified, absolutely terrified. I think the last couple of performances haven't made me feel much better. I don't want to be negative, but Gillingham was terrible. Probably the first half was one of the worst 45 minutes I've seen all season. But I also think we as fans have got a massive responsibility now when the performances aren't good. We can help, we can offer that extra 1%. So Charlton sold out, few tickets remaining for Donny, but we've got two home games and we need to everyone that can get there get there get there in the right frame of mind stop the backbiting on social media for the next three weeks let's all pretend like we support the same club and I think we've got to take some responsibility for it as well but yeah I think we'll finish second and if we do I'll be more than happy with that yeah I'd be absolutely delighted just to to go back up automatically like you I'm utterly terrified I think I've had a number of playoff experiences over the years. There's uh, one of them, obviously, very memorable and very positive. It's one of those paradoxes that the worst performing promoted team gets the best day out, but you have to really, really go through the mill to enjoy it and get there. So uh, I'm willing to forfeit that to go up in second. I've mentioned him before on the pod. I'll have to try and get him on before the end of the season, but there's a Shrewsbury fan in our office. And we, we have our little conferences around the coffee machine of a morning. And today's was, uh, he's very much of the opinion that their squad is so thin and they've been uh, they've really struggled with a couple of key injuries lately. And he's wondering whether Hurst will almost like call, call the dogs off for a couple of weeks, get some of his best players refreshed and recharged, ready for the playoffs. If we win tomorrow, I, think, you know, I don't think that there's any any way back for them. Uh, if we don't take maximum points tomorrow, that might just encourage them to keep snapping at our heels. We've had a couple of chances, and we've had a couple of draws, which at the time seemed disappointing results, but with the power of hindsight, have given us that, that gap that's gone to five points. But I'm terrified. I think if we go in the playoffs, it's just a lottery. There's so many daft things that can happen. You can get a player sent off, a dodgy refereeing decision, anything. But uh, hmm, the odds are certainly stacked in our favour, and I wouldn't swap with anybody else. Yeah, the, the crazy thing is, of course, if the season finished now on the points total compared to last season, we'd be up by now because Bolton went up on 87 points and we're on 88 yeah. or, the, or the other way around. And, and of course, you know, the, the points total we got last season in the championship, we'd be knocking on the door of the playoffs by now, <laughs> just the way the distribution of points is yeah, well, I think in, uh, it, it was in these Jim, two divisions. Jim Wilkinson's column, wasn't it, where he did the analysis of the um, the, the combined losses of the top three teams this season. Yeah. And, and he's a freak season to be so polarised. Yeah. And whoever yeah. finishes third, it'll just be like a, a punch to the guts, won't it? It'll just be an absolute nightmare. And there's a very, very good chance as well that... Rovers could get the record number of points we've ever got. Think about that. That's amazing, isn't yeah. it? What what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what is our record points tally? I know was it in Jim's. Um, or, uh, no, it was in mine. I said oh, I think it, I think it was ninety one oh. when we got when we got promoted from the championship as uh, as runners up to Fulham. The um, this year. Yeah, the when we won the title, it was with eighty seven points. But that was from um, forty-two games. Well, we just we just need to get those last. I don't think we'll need seven. I must admit, I don't think I don't see Shrewsbury winning all their their last games. I think they'll drop some points somewhere, but I don't see us winning all our last games either. Um, I think tomorrow is crucial. I think it will just set the tone for for what remains. But fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed. The next Tuesday, I think it's the first time we all play at the same time for for quite some weeks, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's. it's I suppose it's brilliant from Sky's perspective, but I have to say, for a, it's, it kind of stretches out the agony because you can't just allocate a two-hour window and say, well, at least yeah, this will be resolved to this point within this yeah. window. No, no, it's tonight. Then there's another game. There's another game. But there we go. Right. Thanks very much for your contributions, guys. Uh, you've all voted that we're, we're going to go up by automatic promotion. Uh, my God, I hope so.
Welcome back everybody and in this part of this particular podcast we're going to go to off-field matters and we're going to have a look at the latest accounts that have been posted recently at Company's House for the Blackburn Rovers Football and Athletic Limited or in other words the club and I'm absolutely delighted to to join me for this section is a stalwart of BRFCS and a previous podder himself it's Philip Lingard live from Malta. Philip how are you? I'm fine thanks and you? Uh, Super thank you Philip. Looking forward to uh, dissecting these accounts. I'm not entirely sure that financial analysis is at the top of everyone's list, but I think uh, it's interesting to see what's happened and what Venkis have done and try to understand what perhaps their options are next. So I'm hoping that you will uh, you will enlighten us all. I don't know about that. I think uh, we're all running around in the dark because these owners are not exactly the most communicative uh, of people. Looking at the accounts overall, there's a very useful section at the beginning uh, which lists the results from 2012-13 through to the most recent year, 2016-17. And what you look at there is absolute catastrophes in 2012-13, and 2013-14. You know, I was on uh, the podcast at the time absolutely berating them for the, the horror stories which you saw there. You know, overall losses of 36 million, 42 million on turnovers of 27 and 30 million respectively. And so it's a quite remarkable turnaround in the way that the club has been run in the last two years because I would say, uh, looking at these numbers, that now Blackburn Rovers are actually quite well managed. You know, they burnt the house down from the point when they bought the club. But now that we're in a burnt out shell, we're, we're managing quite well. Just to give you some ideas, turnover from 1516 to 1617, that's sales, revenue, income, has gone down from 22 million to 15 million. So the parachute payments are well and truly over. Now, it's easy to manage a, a business when you're growing, but it's much, much more challenging when you're, when you're gr- going down in the way that rowers are. And they've actually withstood those um, reductions in turnover and kept the operating losses and the overall losses uh, within bounds. And even the interest payments have gone down by uh, uh, pretty well a million pounds between 15, 16 and 16, 17. So, you know, to Mike Cheston, the, the, really, the guy deserves a pat on the back. And to have gone through a loss in turnover the way he has and actually generated positive cash, in other words, the cash coming into the business more, more than going out, of 2.2 million in 1617, is pretty impressive. So for the non-accountants, Philip, let's just just have a look at a couple of headline numbers there. So turnover, as you said, in 2015-16 was 22 million, and that's dropped to 15, as you say, through the parachutes. But notwithstanding 7 million fall in turnover, as you say, the losses have grown, but only from 1.5 million to 3.8. And as you say, positive cash flow on the back of that. Presumably that's from player sales? Yes, there are intangible asset disposals is what they call them. But that really is the, um, the sale of players. There's about 14 million in 15, 16, 10 million in 16, 17. And before anyone goes adding up, the um, the actual transfer fees, ins and outs, um, you've got to understand that the way that football clubs account for players is, is quite bizarre. So you can't really uh, um, match these to the, um, to, to the actual transfer values because what they're doing is that they're also amortising the costs of previous transfers. And so you're looking at net profits and net losses after amortisation. These numbers of 14 million and 10 million signal there has been a net income from the sale of players, a very substantial one which has managed to hold the club together. And, you know, I think it's quite something to bear in mind that would you really swap the current squad of players for the ones which we had at the end of the 2014-15 season? The club's made this money, and I don't think on the playing side we're that much worse off. It's an interesting point. I think the the squad that Gary Bowyer had that had the likes of Jordan Rhodes and Rudy Gestead and all the rest of it was probably the last time that I felt that we, we challenged for the Premier League. Clearly, our fortunes have taken a downturn since then. But this this group of players, I know they're playing in a lower division, but they certainly seem to be knitting together as a team, and that's credit to Mowbray. 
Um, so, yeah, notwithstanding the sales, we are probably in a reasonably strong position. So how, how has that left the balance sheet then, Philip? What does that mean to the club in terms of its assets? I mean, really, there's only two numbers to look out at the balance sheet, frankly, because uh, everything else pales into total insignificance. Um, the shareholders' capital is 147 million, and we have net current liabilities of 109 million. Now, in other words, if we stopped the club tomorrow, we would owe 109 million uh, in short-term uh, obligations more than we're actually able to call to call in. Uh, and, and you know, putting that 109 million into context, uh, the club's football-related debt. That's another word. Transfer fees, which are owing to the club. Transfer fees owing to the club are £464,000. Our net current liabilities are £109 One number is 200 times bigger than the other. Who are we owing all that money to? There is an, an, an overdraft. But again, this overdraft has come down. It was £14.2 in 15-16. It's down to £11.9 this year which again is, is, is quite remarkable. That overdraft, incidentally, is secured on Venkis London. We have got uh, even the overdraft secured by the owners, and the rest is debt to the owners. 95 million at the moment is what the club owes to the Venkis. Altogether, if you put the share capital of 147 million, the short-term debt of 95 million, this comes to 242 million. That's £242 million out of the pocket of the Rouse to Blackman Rovers. It's an expensive hobby, Philip. Whatever it is, uh, and we really don't know what they're doing, <laughs> it's certainly expensive. Yeah, if I had a hobby that cost me 30-odd million quid a year, I think uh, my good lady wife would be questioning my sanity. I think the interesting thing, as you say, the bank overdraft has fallen and funding seems to be increasingly provided by the parent undertaking, but in one of the notes to the accounts, just to try and ease some of the concern that supporters might have, any monies that are lent by the parent to the football club are interest-free. So that accounts also as why the, the interest bill is reduced. So they're having to fund it out of their own pocket, as you say. Uh, they're paying for their own mistakes, there's no doubt about that. But in so doing, and the way that they've done it, they seem to have managed the position quite well, as you say. Is that a fair summary, Philip? Well, I would say that they finally put some reasonably professional management into the club. I know it's you know, compared with the days of John uh, of uh, John Williams and um, Tom Finn. Yeah, you know, it's very small beer management which we've got. But the people we've got at the moment seem to be doing a solid job, which is not what you could be saying could be said, of the people who were imposed really between 2011, the start of the 15-16 season. That's where the real damage was done, it would seem. Cataclysmic, abysmal, <laughs> appalling. I mean, the club was destroyed. It's, it's a pale shell of what it was. But having said that, we, we've bottomed out and it seems to be managed. How, from your, in your opinion, how important is it that we secure promotion this year then and what impact does that have on the structure of, of the club? Well, of course, it's very important. They have uh, put all this money in and are, and are still sticking with us. You know, they could easily, when the Bank of India stopped um, putting money in on the back of uh, the land in, in Pune, they could easily have pulled the plug then. And you know, Blackman Rovers would be in you know, an appalling state. We'd be kicking around somewhere down the bottom of, of, of League Two if we were lucky. To the contrary, they kept putting money in. They put in best part of well over 30 million of their own money in the way that they were doing it previously. And they've enabled us to avoid um, problems with FFP. They've, they've put the money in as shares, which means that they can't get, get this lot out. What's interesting to me on that point is the rules are different, aren't they, in the third and fourth tiers. It does encourage owners to put money in as shares. As you say, they didn't have to do it that way, but they've chosen to do it that way. Use the rules to their advantage for once. Completely agree. And, you know, when you're asking the question about promotion, then what you're looking at is that they have genuinely put a, a financial platform in there which could get us promotion. I don't know um, what has caused this uh, onrush of sanity. Um, as you know, <laughs> last summer, you know, last summer we had KPMG and Deloitte, both of them 
uh, in at Ewood doing a thorough overview of the club in the, in the light of relegation. You add two sets of accounts in, that usually means that you've got a buyer on the scene. Yes. They, I think you're looking at people uh, in India who now are in a state of not trusting anybody. You know, they clearly wouldn't trust just one set of accountants. You've got the other lot to second guess the first lot. So they truly, truly get, get a, um, a picture of what the actual state is. Um, one other thing which has struck me enormously, that decision to appoint Owen Coyle. There was a choice. Mike Cheston had Neil Warnock all lined up to be appointed. And then something happened and we got Owen Coyle. Whoever was the bright spark who made that recommendation. Now, look where Neil Warnock has Cardiff City today. Look where Owen Coyle has put Blackman Rovers today. As far as anything is certain in football, if you appoint Neil Warnock, you're going to get promoted. If you appoint Owen Coyle, you're going to get relegated. I would think that even for people as wealthy as the Rouse, you know, that swing is probably worth 200 million you know, in, in terms of the difference between being on the cusp of promotion to the Premier League and where we are. Well, Neil Warnock is an interesting cocktail, but certainly his, his performance this season with Cardiff has been little short of astounding, taking a team that was floundering. And his, his track record outside of the Premiership, I think, is absolutely excellent. I think it's only when he gets in the Premiership he struggles. Well, let, let's have that problem. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> nice problem to have to deal with. Even for people as wealthy as the Rouse, it will have dawned on them that that decision probably cost them £200 million. Yeah. The only way that they're going to ever have any chance of recovering that quarter of a billion which they flushed down the loo so far at Blackburn Rovers is by getting back into the Premier League. That's the only way. I think that what we're looking at now is that we can be absolutely certain that the Rouse are not interested in selling Blackburn Rovers. There have been so many people who attempted to buy it off them. Really? The door is just locked totally slammed too. There's no way, certainly no way anybody from Blackburn's ever going to buy Blackburn Rovers from the Rouse. Whether we like it or not, we've got them and they've got us. And I think, you know, and I say this as somebody who's been one of the biggest Rouse critics there's been, it possibly is time for us to say, okay, yes, you destroyed our club, you know, over those five years. But You've stuck with us, and now you've got a chance to build our club anew. The way that the finances work, we're going to be going up. Oh, touch wood. <laughs> Let's not tempt fate, shall we? <laughs> we may or may not go up, but if we were to go up, we will have a League One-ish cost structure. Yeah. They could say, okay, we'll, we'll keep that cost structure, and we'll have... You know, nicely marginally profitable in a good year accounts for the next season. Or they can say, OK, shall we give this a 20 million or a 30 million push? It's an interesting point for that. I, I guess the thing that I'm not totally clear on, I've not done the research, is if... The, the, well, the financial fair play rules are different in the Championship than they are League One. But if they were to put that money in, let's say at uh, five minutes after the final whistle of the game that takes us up, God willing, uh, does that count towards fee, um, financial fair play or are we still turnover um, related next season? Look, I, I don't don't take this for a gospel, but I believe that we worked on the basis of the season stroke year, year so basically 30th of June. Yeah. We're in League One until the 30th of June. Right. Right. Now, if we manage to win two games, or rather, if Shrewsbury failed to win two games more in their last six fixtures than we do, uh, on that basis, on the 1st of July, we'll be in the championship. Yeah. That's when the, rule, the rules change. Our status change, we become a full member again, and we become a um, you know, subject to the championship rules. So they could do things. They don't have to do it in just a, a, you know, a few seconds after the um, final whistle, and whichever day it is in May that we play Oxford. Also, remember that they sorted out financial fair play and the transfer ban in the championship. So you can, as owners, put money in on the on uh, as equity as shares. You can, yeah. It's just that the rules are more stringent, aren't they? On 
turnover-related expenditure, whereas in League One you can literally cover all the losses. So it, it's it's curious. It's it's really something of a paradox that going down has enabled them, it seems, to structure the cost base in the way that they wanted. And there is an opportunity, and only time will tell, for them perhaps to do that extra investment and set us up so that we, well, not quite coming full circle until we get back to the Premier League, of course, but it will give us a shot of re-establishing ourselves in the Championship, which at the end of you know, 12 months ago, frankly, I would have snapped your hands off for that. Let's face it, Tony Mowbray got us within two goals of quite. playing in the Championship. You know? yeah, so yeah. that was... That wasn't, um, you know, a determined uh, assault on our status as a championship team. We were just very, very unlucky in the end. Yeah, yeah. There was only, I think, you know, one game, as you sort of say, turning slightly differently. One of those score draws. But let's not revisit that. Far too painful. Far too painful. So, in summary, Philip, then, what would you, what would you say the position that the accounts paint today? They show that. We've got decent management in the circumstances. They show that um, the um, financial situation is under control. I know that supporters go absolutely ape and quite rightly about the size of these debts, but they are, these debts are not club and life threatening whilst rows are behaving the way they are. You know, the club is secure. Well, the- theorising for a second, if they did want to dispose they would have to write all of that off, wouldn't they? Of course. Absolutely. Nobody's going to touch... Nobody is going to take on any of that quarter of a billion. Nobody. So the reality of the situation is they they hold on to us and carry on doing what they do. They write all their debt off and effectively give the club away. Or the third option is the doomsday scenario where they decide to liquidate. That's really the three options that prevail, I guess. They could liquidate. Um, but, you know, again, how much of that 95 million short-term debt which uh, the club owes uh, its owners is going to be recovered? Quite. I mean, you know, they do extraordinarily well to get 20 million of it. it. It is a case of, as you said, we're stuck with them, they're stuck with us, unless and until they take a more sanguine view about writing off that debt. Let's say they wanted to dispose of the club. They that money is gone. They they liquidate. They say goodbye to that to that quarter of um, a quarter of a billion. Then actually, somebody coming in and looking at Blackburn Rovers cross off that that quarter of a billion. The, the club looks decent, very decent. From a trading perspective, absolutely, as you say, yeah. Trading perspective is great. From an asset perspective, owns its own grounds, owns its own training field, etc. It's in a fantastic shape. Land Rovers looks a very, very good bet, you know. And and to be honest, you know, that's why you hear rumours and constantly of people wanting to buy the club because they can see. Well, you know, if if the bankies disappear with their quarter of a billion. <laughs> that actually a good yeah. shot here. So it, it all depends on their perspective and what they decide to do. But until then, the trends, such that they are, are seem to have bottomed out and we seem to be bouncing back upwards, albeit slightly. But so much will depend, obviously, on what happens on the field in the next few weeks. Absolutely. But if we're in... And I, um, you know, they say Shrewsbury have really got to uh, win those two games more than we do uh, to stop us going up. Then um, the situation is that the rows, if they're taking a, a, a long, hard look at it, like they did this summer, and got the Deloitte and KPMG in, and decided that they would keep on pumping money into us, and you know they pumped in, I think it's another twelve or fifteen million. If they're going for another twelve or fifteen million just for, you know, sort of a nice advance into the championship, why not? They're not going to get into FFP. Problems if you turn that fifteen into into thirty or thirty five, and you and you, you think, okay, Tony Mowbray, with that sort of resources, I think uh, you look at what Sheffield United and Millwall have done in the Championship this season. You know, Millwall are now in the playoffs. Sheffield United knocking on the door, uh, and even Bolton, who who have gone up utterly crippled. You know. They're still not in the bottom three, but that's very tenuous. I think that um, the sensible, or you know, I would, and if I were advising the Venkies, irrespective of being a Baton Rover supporter, which I'm passionate about, I'd say to them, look, 
uh, if you want to turn 20 million into 200 million... This is your only chance, really. Exactly. And you look at what Wolves have got away with financially. Yes, I think there's a number of chickens to come home to roost, not, not wishing to use that particular pun, but uh, <laughs> QPR certainly have had the moments, and I think Wolves, there'll, there'll be more stuff to come out in the wash, but it might get disguised by the fact that they win promotion and uh, exactly. all the money goes into one pot, but there we go. Yeah. No, Wolves have wolves just sort of gambled, break all the rules now. <laughs> we're, 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 you know, this, this is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and it looks like they're, uh, they're going to ride off into uh, a Premier League horizon rather than into a hail of bullets. Yeah, just fancy a, a club being dominated by a particular agent who brings in only certain players, but it leads to success on the field. Who would have thought it? <laughs> well, indeed, which actually, I, I go back, I think... You know, whatever else you say about um, the Englishman, the Swiss man and the Italian, they were absolutely useless at running football clubs. (laughs) Absolutely, incredibly bad. I I couldn't possibly comment. (laughs) (laughs) Philip, thank you very much for that once again. It's great to hear you back on the pod. And, of course, it's great to see you on the boards as well, commenting on on all sorts of issues, but particularly with regards to the accounts. I think uh, they they can be complex to the the non-financial person, but essentially I think we've tried to to simplify it. But uh, thank you once again for your input, and it's been great uh, hearing from you. Not at all. Great to speak with you, Ian. So thanks once again to Cammy Linz and Michael and to our special part two guest, Philip Lingard, for his contributions. Whatever happens over the next few weeks, we've got plans for an end of season review with a twist and we'll give you some more details nearer the time. We hope that we won't need a playoff special, but if we do, we'll keep you posted on that as well. And remember, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, well, you're probably not a football fan. So thank you and goodbye once again from the BRFCS pod squad. And fingers crossed.